T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Mark Reardon Show is sponsored by Gamma Tree Experts. Your trees deserve the best care. Call Gamma Tree Experts. We have uh, an audio cut of the day before the hour is up. Also, Phil Holloway, Fox News legal analyst, former police officer. We're going to talk about a few things, including the Georgia runoff. He's down in the Atlanta area. Um, Also, some thoughts on the Virginia cop situation, the catfish deal, which was amazingly horrific in California. And the Idaho murders are still very mysterious as well. Uh, Audio cut of the day. And I don't know what we have planned for tomorrow. Fred is just back today. Usually I have some notes and I just looked at my notes and then I realized, no, I don't know what's going on tomorrow. But we're going to have plenty of great things to do tomorrow. Of course, the Reardon Roundtable on Friday as we're into the month of December very, very quickly. The Supreme Court is starting to hear some cases that will be decided over the next few months and we'll get these um, results and the, you know, the decisions not until next summer or they'll be leaked out at some point in the spring. One of those two. Ilya Shapiro is back with us this afternoon, director of constitutional studies at the Manhattan Institute. Ilya, we do have kind of two ways. These things are released in mass to the public and then they're leaked, right? Two different ways to get these judgments and decisions <laughs> by the court out. How are yeah. you? Yeah, yeah, doing well, doing well. Just had uh, newborn twins born 18 days ago, so that's what my wife and I are are doing at home. No way. Well, congratulations. Now, are these your first children or not? No, third and fourth. So well, we got a full house here. <laughs> we guess so. So my, um, you've probably worked with him previously. We call him producer emeritus Dave Klein. Dave left the show about uh, eight months ago because he had to grow up and, and get a real job. But we love him to death. And he had twins who are now in kindergarten several years ago. And then they had another son, all right? And then Dave had this master plan, Ilya. It was 2020 in the spring. And you might remember that spring. But he thought, yep. I'm going to get a vasectomy, and I'm going to do it leading right into the NCAA basketball tournament because that's kind of like the thing to do. You sit there with the frozen peas for a yep. few days, you got basketball. Well, lo and behold, the tournament was canceled. Remember, it was COVID that canceled the tournament. The world shut down. And bonus round, he just had another baby because the vasectomy failed. Ha! <laughs> Don't don't tell my wife because that that's my plan now. But uh, yes, we'll see what happens. 
I know, right? That is, uh, well, and I had I had another one when I was, she, my daughter, who's seven and a half, I have older kids, but she was my birthday present basically when I turned 50 because I had not had the surgery uh, at that point. So lessons to yeah. be learned all along. And actually, that's, that's a good one, too, because you should remember this for the future. I'll just share this. Some people in the audience have heard it. My wife was bit by a dog, Ilya, uh, about eight, well, this would have been almost nine years ago. And uh, bear with me here. This is going to go somewhere. It wasn't super serious. It was our neighbor's dog, and she went to urgent care just to be careful, got put on antibiotics. The antibiotics, six weeks after the dog bite, her boobs were big, and I said, are you pregnant? And she said, well, I hope not. And it turns out she was, and we have a beautiful little girl right now. It all worked out. It was one of those things that was meant to be. But that's a crazy story, too, isn't it? Yes. I mean, God works in mysterious ways. Well, I'm glad that you're awake for us. We'll see if you fall asleep during the interview because you have those new twins. But congratulations. Um, You said both boys? Uh, Boy, girl. Our older kids are, are boys first grade and and uh, last year oh so Ilya, you are gonna helpful you are gonna helpful. love this little girl I'm telling you there's yeah. just a difference and I was I was so glad to get my bonus round to be a girl all right let's talk about the court here and in particular let let's um get into the case that they heard about the deportation policy and what we learned there right so this was argued uh, yesterday the case is called United States versus Texas it's uh, the lower court judge the district court uh, uh, enjoined, blocked the Biden administration policy of setting priorities for the arrest and deportation of uh, non-citizens. And the priorities they set was suspected terrorists, people who have committed crimes, and those caught recently at the border. Texas and a number of other states challenged that, saying you should be going after all uh, illegal aliens, and away we went. And it was it was an interesting argument. Um, uh, both, uh, you know, multiple legal issues, lots of technicalities and, and, and uh, you know, you really have to drill down. This is not some, you know, grandiose uh, uh, Bill of Rights style constitutional argument, the nitty gritty of, uh, of immigration statutes. Uh, and it's hard to predict exactly what the court is uh, going to do. Well, what are the what are the issues that they have to wrangle with then on that? First is whether the states uh, have standing to bring this suit at all, uh, because, you know, the, the extremes, neither of the extremes really make sense. If they have standing to challenge any government policy, well, uh, you know, no matter how tangentially it affects the state, that, that can't be right. That's like litigating policy decisions. But if they don't have standing to challenge anything, even that has you know, significant monetary or, or security effect uh, on the state, that, that doesn't sound right either. So how do you draw the line? What what is the uh, what is the standing there? And notably, four months ago, at the end of last term, uh, in a different case, the court, in ruling for the Biden administration on a completely different immigration issue, did find that the states had standing. So probably they will find at least uh, that the states have standing here. After that, uh, the statute says the, the the congressional authorization or or uh, creation of this program that 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 the, the Department of Homeland Security shall pursue. Uh, you know, illegal uh, aliens and, and, and things like this. Well, um, shall, what does shall mean? There's not the money there. There's not the capacity to pursue all estimated 11, 12 million uh, non-citizens who could be subject to deportation in the country. So by definition, there has to be some sort of policy set. It's kind of like when a, a local prosecutor decides to prioritize going after murderers rather than jaywalkers and everything uh, uh, in between. Uh, but how do you go about doing that? Does it matter if it's in a set of official memos versus just guidance versus just uh, you know prosecutorial or in this case enforcement discretion? 
I don't know. And the justices were really struggling with that. And even if they figure that out, there's a final issue of what lower courts can actually do, because there's been this uh, tradition, partly based on the statute, partly the way the jurisprudence has developed, that only the Supreme Court can invalidate federal immigration law. Lower courts can only affect the case before them. So the particular party versus the particular party in that case, not the, not the policy uh, nationwide, universally. Uh, what are they going to do with that? It's, it's, it's also uh, uh, unclear. And the court has increasingly, in lots of contexts, faced these issues of nationwide or universal injunctions. We face that with Trump's travel ban, with DACA under, uh, under Obama, as well as non-immigration-related uh, issues, funding issues of various kinds, COVID policies, and, and, and other things. So uh, very technical, very, uh, I think the, the argument lasted uh, about two and a half hours, which is long. Um, and and hard to predict exactly what uh, the court is going to do. Yeah, because usually you you have kind of a gut check, uh, especially folks like you, based on what you heard in the arguments and the responses from the justices. But what I'm hearing is this one of those cases that might not traditionally come down the line of liberal versus conservative 5-4 or 6-3 or whatever it might be? And it doesn't yet, yes. And also it looks like there might be different alignments of justices on different issues of these Hmm. three that I've discussed. Uh, And... Uh, that it, it likely won't be a clear win or a clear loss for the administration or for the states that are challenging it. Anything else that you've noticed here over the course of the last uh, month or so in some of these cases that have gone before the court? And I don't know how deep they go into December hearing arguments. Do they still have a bunch of cases that have to come before them before the end of the year? Uh, next week is the last week they're hearing argument. Okay. And then they'll start up again the first two weeks of January. Um, we're not expecting, uh, you know, typically the earliest opinions might come down still before the uh, the end of the year. There's some easy cases that were argued back in October. But we should start uh, opinions coming down, not in the highest profile cases, but in some of the more run-of-the-mill run ones uh, in January. Um, uh, but in, in, in general, uh, it's, it's an interesting term. The justices are getting a, a feel for each other and being back in the courtroom and the courtroom having uh, uh, people there uh, for the first time. The court is now open. Uh, and uh, the new Justice Jackson, of course, uh, and uh, the new format for oral argument. That's why in a lot of cases, actually, it's taking a long time, kind of a hybrid. They, they do have a bit of a free-for-all that we were previously used to, but also they go uh, in descending order of seniority as well after that. And I think that hybrid is, is working. Uh, I, I like, I think it's more informative and more productive a kind of argument than when everybody was kind of jumping in on top of each other all the time. What have you seen with Kintanji Brown-Jackson? Anything there as far as an observation in her lines of questioning, or has she spoken much during these arguments? Uh, she has spoken a lot, actually. Um, uh, going into this week's uh, uh, hearings, I haven't seen the latest statistics for this week, but going into the hearing, uh, she, I think, uh, spoke more than anybody else. Um, uh, so that's, uh, that's something uh, unusual for a rookie justice, to be sure. Um, she was particularly vocal in the affirmative action cases. Uh, that was a long argument. That went five and a half, six hours. Uh, and the voting rights uh, cases, um, whether that's because it's a particular area of interest to her or just because she knew the spotlight would be uh, uh, on her in, in cases involving uh, racial preferences and, and whatnot. Um, uh, well prepped, uh, you know, certainly fulfilling uh, the 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 brief on her that that she you know prepares hard and and uh, does her research and also brings the experience of for most of her career judicial career was a district judge uh, rather than an appellate judge so really dives in deep into the record into the facts and 
asks questions about that. Ilya Shapiro is with us this afternoon talking about some of these constitutional issues. He is the director of constitutional studies now at the Manhattan Institute. I'll close with the question that I'm going to ask probably from now until the end of time. Hey, do we know who leaked the Dobbs decision yet? But I also tie <laughs> I tie that in. That's a dumb question because we don't. But can you explain what happened with this uh, 2014 case and how the court basically uh, did they exonerate Sam Alito against some allegations? Yeah, look, this is uh, what uh, the legal term for, for this thing that you're raising is, uh, is hogwash. Um, the, the, the Hobby Lobby case, if you can remember, this is sure. eight and a half years ago now, uh, a decision that a closely held corporation uh, has certain, uh, uh, certain constitutional rights, including the, a religious liberty uh, uh, exemption under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Uh, and uh, uh, Justice Alito wrote the opinion, and uh, this allegation is that he uh, divulged the, the outcome of the case to someone that he was dining with. He and his wife were dining with another couple, uh, and one of those people uh, divulged it to somebody else in this kind of broken telephone, and, and you know, some of the advocacy groups knew about the result and, and things like that. It, it falls apart because uh, one of the people at the dinner has, has passed away. The other one denies the allegation, and the person who kind of uh, raised this to the media, which the New York Times ran with and Politico could not confirm, spent months trying to confirm this and, and could not confirm it uh, and had to go to this uh, dodgy circumstantial evidence. The, anyway, this person that, that generated uh, the, the whole news cycle uh, has changed uh, his ideological stripes and basically is now you know, crusading uh-huh. against the court's more conservative turn. So this is a this is a tempest in a teapot. Uh, Alito put out uh, a denial, which is unusual in and of itself. And um, uh, after a couple of senators wrote to the Supreme Court, uh, one of the counsel to the court, uh, to the chief justice, uh, replied in a letter saying that uh, our internal investigation suggests that there is no uh, nothing going on here. Uh, nothing to see. Uh, so that's it. And on the Dobbs question, uh, nothing, right? Nothing yet. I, you know, I had hoped because right before uh, the, the first uh, argument, the, in the first week of October, uh, there was news that, that Chief Justice Roberts said that, you know, he seemed to he seemed to indicate that a report was coming. Maybe it came, but nothing has been made public. So we still wait. Ilya Shapiro, you enjoy those new babies. I hope you get some sleep and um, have a great holiday time. If we don't talk before that, we'll uh, we'll certainly catch up with you after the first of the year. Thanks very much, Mark. Take care. All right, take care. So you weren't in here. He just had twins like 18 days ago. That's so a boy exciting. and a girl. I know, oh, isn't that cool? Yay. I had to share the Dave Klein story because I thought that that oh, was that's nice. somewhat relevant. Uh, Phil Holloway's <laughs> coming up here in just a couple of minutes from Fox News. We'll talk about a variety of things, but I wanted to squeeze this in because we've talked about it the last couple of days. I find this comical, and Ducey asked KJP about this today because we we discussed this with Kilmeade in the first hour. They are keeping an eye on Elon Musk and Twitter. We're all keeping a close eye on this. We're all uh, uh, monitoring uh, what's what's currently uh, occurring, and uh, we see you know we see it with our own eyes of of what you all are reporting and just. For, for ourselves, what's happening on, on Twitter. Okay, so the White House is monitoring Twitter, oh. an app. Apparently oh, they're monitoring okay. Facebook and things like that, too. So Peter Ducey had to ask KJP some questions about that. When you say that you're going to be monitoring some of the speech on there, if you see something that you don't like, would you try to shut Twitter down? So look, 
you know, when you when you talk about monitoring, you know, it, it is. Uh, I, I hate to break oh, it to dear. you, Peter. Uh -oh. Just like everybody else, we very much monitor the news. We pay close attention to everything that you all are reporting, and. And Twitter's in the news a lot. And so that's what we're paying attention to. We're paying attention to what is in the news and what is being reported on uh, on the misinformation that's out there. Let's not forget there's groups like NAACP, the Anti-Defamation League, and the public health leaders have been very vocal about their concerns as well. So yes, we are uh, reading what you all are, are writing and, and looking at what you all are reporting uh, about the misinformation uh, that is out there. But you know, I would hope that all Americans uh, including social media companies, civil rights organizations I just laid out, <laughs> including Fox as well, will agree that uh, we need to, uh, you know, we need to, uh, to, uh, you know, call out hate speech and misinformation. Yeah, well, I, I'm sure, you know, if you remember correctly, they were doing that voraciously with misinformation on CNN about the uh, Steele dossier and all these other okay. things as well. His, it's just nonsense. His question was, what are you going to do about it if yeah. you see something? And she never answered it, but said a whole bunch of words. Kevin McCarthy asked about this by Ducey as well. What yes, yeah. the White House that they're keeping an eye on Twitter under Elon Musk's ownership and leadership? That is offensive to me. Government's going to go after someone that wants to have free speech? What do they have to look at Twitter about? Exactly. Do they want to go more after American public about whether they can have an opinion on something? I think the American public have spoken on this. We'll no longer let government go after people simply because of their political views. And if you're a, you know, an entertainer, because there's plenty of them that have Alyssa Milano and others, she's so nice to you. You know, I spoke with her at a, she came in for the All-Star Game because she's got a, a line of clothing that's baseball oriented. Oh, yeah, and for the did ladies. an interview with her whenever that was, I guess, 10, 12 years ago. Very nice. But she is just a nutcase. And she keeps embarrassing herself. But if you don't want to be on Twitter, don't be on Twitter. Right. You it's know, very simple. I love, in, the reason I follow people in the music world or entertainment is because I want to find out what they're doing in their world, right? I don't follow them because of their political beliefs, but they all think that we all want to know their political beliefs. We, we really don't. don't. We just want to hear you sing and play Zero guitar and stuff like that. people want to know your political beliefs. Exactly. No. If I'm, the, the, the greatest thing that I ever, not the greatest thing, but I always remember people who for years would give me grief about what my opinions were. This was on KMOX, right? They didn't agree with me. I would say, Sue, that 97% of the people who would reach out Email, angry email, uh, voicemails, really, really, you know, angry voicemails. It wasn't because of me personally. It's because they didn't like my politics, right? Ah. They simply didn't like my politics. And, you know, that's what's happening here w with Twitter. They don't. If George Soros was taking over Twitter, you think there'd be one story about the White House monitoring Twitter? On the topic of Kevin McCarthy, too, let me, um, let me get a couple of sound bites in here, too, because I, I was going to use these for audio cut of the day, but we had something significant in the music world today that I'll point toward in that mm -hmm. segment. But he's not a lock for speaker. He's got to have everyone on board. Now, I think, and Brian and I, Kilmeade, talked about this earlier this afternoon. I think in the end, there's going to be some wrangling and he's going to get the votes. Some of this happened with Paul Ryan as well, and probably even Boehner and certainly Nancy Pelosi. But what's going to happen? We want to make sure that everybody has input, but we have to speak as one voice. We will only be successful if we work together or we'll lose individually. And if we don't do this right, the Democrats can take the majority. If we play games on the floor, the Democrats can end up picking who the speaker is. So I think at the end of the day, calmer hell, um, heads will prevail. Well, let's hope that that happens because I think it's just going to be a distraction if it doesn't. Um, 
Also, he talked about the meeting with the president on immigration. What is the president's response when you invited him to come to the border with you? Well, I invited him to come to the border. He said, I'm sure you'd want me to. But, uh, he asked me, that, what, what did I want to see happen on the border? And I walked through exactly what I want to see happen on the border. I want to see that the border agents were actually able to do their job and not be processing agents. It's amazing to me that the the most of the mainstream media can't actually get a grasp of that issue to, you know, explain it in a way to the American people that this is just not something that should be happening. You know, everybody should go. Kamala Harris should go to the border. The president should go to the border. They should see the tens of thousands yep. of illegals that are crossing over. We talked with Ilya Shapiro about some of these numbers with uh, with immigration and the deportations. I can't cite them off the top of my head because I saw it flash up there very quickly. But when Trump was in office, you were talking about round about, I think, 277, 300,000 deportations. The numbers were pretty high. We're down around the 100,000, even less than that with this administration. Meantime, there's a lot more coming over the border, so it's a double whammy. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Sue just asked me if I've opened up my personal property tax yet. I, I got it, I think, on Monday. I know it's the bill, but I'm not going to open it. Yet. Good for you. I get angry when I, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to leave it. Nope, I got to look at it. And then I got even madder. The whole concept of personal property tax is so offensive to me after you pay a sales tax. Oh, I know. You pay gas tax. I know. You pay tax when you're going to get it repaired. And then just for the simple reason that you own the vehicle or you don't own the vehicle because you're leasing it or whatever, because you use the vehicle, you're going to pay more taxes to the government. They're going to confiscate more money from you. I realize that if they get rid of it, they'll get it out of us some other way, but... Well, oh, it's mine. That, that's my... the thing. What what you can say, and I've talked about this before in relation to my time in Wisconsin, where you had outrageously high property taxes. We didn't have to pay taxes on our cars and our goats that we owned, but you did have right. high to, property so what, tax. To a certain extent, maybe that does happen. But there is this other concept where the government doesn't spend as much damn money, and that never happens. Here, here. Yeah. Phil Holloway is with us from Georgia. You don't have um, personal property taxes down there in Georgia, do you? In Georgia, we have some type, we call it, you know, ad valorem tax on certain types of personal property, like we have a boat or an airplane. You know, cars used to have the ad valorem tax, but they, they kind of did Got away with that. that. Now yeah. we just have a standardized tag fee. Well, you have to pay on that private jet, I'm sure, though, Phil. <laughs> That's right. That, that adds up. <laughs> it does add up. How are you? How was your Thanksgiving? I, I'm doing great. I had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, we had my mother in town. She's 80 five years old and uh we've had her here for the last uh three years all during during covid and uh we were fortunate to 
to, to be able to spend that time together. I hope you had a nice one. Yep, it was great. I was out in the desert for a little bit, and then we came back and had a nice time here in St. Louis. We were kind of commenting in the last hour, though, because it's rather daunting that tomorrow is already December 1st, Phil. I know, I know, and, and I'm, I'm about to have to get the, that elf out and, and oh, have the yeah. elf on the shelf every mm-hmm. day. Do you have a little one? You year. have a little one in the house? No, well, <laughs> uh, define little. I mean, you know, <laughs> teenager. Traditions. It, it's hard to quit the tradition. Have one teenager and one not quite yet a teenager. Yeah. See, we never. My wife never got into the elf on the shelf. That much. I mean, she does. Lucky. We do the Saint Nick thing. Do you do the Saint What's Nick? What's the Saint Nick? Okay, thing? see, this is new to me. Here's what I know about Christmas: Santa comes, right, and yeah. delivers. Santa comes on Christmas Eve, but apparently there is a tradition where Saint Nick comes on next Monday and delivers gifts as well. What? I don't know. That's cooked up by Phil. Kids you know, you know that? Genius. Yeah. Well, right. But I get sucked <laughs> into this stuff. The Elf on the Shelf thing is so complicated, though. And then yeah, if you it's for- funny, you it's funny. With- yeah. If you go out with your wife, you have a few drinks, you know, at dinner, you come home and, and you forget to you forget to move the elf and you wake up in just sheer terror oh, the yeah. next morning. You know, it's awful. <laughs> well, so Becky did it like a couple I don't know if she's gonna do it this year. So tomorrow's the day. I'm gonna tell her that she needs to do elf on the shelf. And yeah, because I'm the one that usually wakes up a little early and then I see that the elf is in the same position and then there's panic mode. Uh, so we'll we'll see what happens. All right, let's talk about a few things that are happening in the news right now. First and foremost, you're down there in the Atlanta area. The Georgia runoff is coming up very quickly. That's another thing that's sort of snuck up on us after this um, indecision on Election Day with no one clearing the 50 percent threshold. We're hearing reports of long lines for voter turnout. What's your gut check on what's going to happen on Tuesday? A lot of people have voted already. Yeah, they have, and I can personally confirm it uh, on Sunday. Okay, I went to try to vote on Sunday. Uh, I was going to take my daughter with me and show her what it's like. She's not quite old enough yet, but the line was around the the, the building at this place. Okay, it's an early voting center. So I go back, and that's on Sunday, right? So I go back the next day, thinking, okay, when people are at work, maybe uh, the lines won't be so long. Same thing. It ran so I said, well, I'll come back another time. And finally, this morning, really, really early, I got up. I was one of the first ones there. But it still took me about 30 minutes, which is not terrible, obviously. But, uh, it, you know, the, the advanced voting is still very, very popular in Georgia. And, you know, the whole thing about voter suppression, uh, it's an absolute myth, I can tell you from personal experience. So, but then, there, because I'm confused on this point, too, I talked to somebody about this this week. Is there a bit of a pause this week on the voting between, what, Saturday and Election Day so you can vote through the week, or am I getting that wrong? I, I believe I believe we can, it's Monday, I believe it's through Friday. And then it, this was the same during the general, the, the weekend before, so you had the Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, it was a pause, and then, of course, the election Got it. on Tuesday. And I believe that's the way it's going to be this week. Awesome. All right. Um, what in the hell is going on in that case in Idaho? Okay, so, I, you know, this is one of those cases, and it just is heartbreaking, right? And uh, I talked about this on Fox News the day before Thanksgiving, which I guess was a week ago today. Um, and I was trying to think of, okay, what's new? Because every day there's a story about it, but there's really no new evidence. And that's basically where we are today. Okay. There's nothing really new that we know about, but look, here's the thing. This is the type of crime scene. And I've been to crime scenes that involved a lot of blood, uh, you know, like lots of blood. And I can tell you, there's lots of forensics that police are going to have to go through. There's footprints, there's shoe prints are a great, uh, 
a clue that you can right. find at, at a bloody scene because you can match a shoe with a specific type or shoe print with a specific type of shoe, just like they did in OJ with the Bruno Molly shoes, right? Um, you got palm prints, you got hand prints, you got fingerprints, uh, and you also have a lot of what we call blood spatter. And um, blood spatter analysts can can look at blood droplets that appear on, say, a wall or a ceiling or uh, some other piece of furniture and, and look at the way that they hit and can kind of piece together mechanically how a, a crime took place, particularly one that involved um, a knife or an edged weapon. So there are going to be forensic clues that the police have, but for certain reasons and to protect the integrity of their investigation, they won't release them to the public. So the public really wants to hear some answers. And, and I understand that. I really do, because I want to hear answers, right? But I know that the police have information in their possession. They have, they have information that only the real killer would right, know about, right. okay? So if they ever get a suspect and they want to interrogate that person, they, they and that person mentions this stuff that's never been disclosed publicly, they'll, they'll know that they've got their guy. Right. So we, yeah, so, right, so right. There's evidence. We just don't know what it is. Yeah, and you know, to your point, we do want to know, and I think there's all this curiosity, even more so than after the um, the immediate murders. But this is a very complicated case. They took the it cars. Is, now they took complex, the cars into into possession too. It's a very complex and complicated. Think about all the blood that is potentially and probably, I think, commingled. Let's say so. The investigators are going to need to try to um, basically separate out whose blood is is whose. And if, and guess what? If they find some blood or other forensic material at that crime scene that does not belong to any of the victims right. or the people that you would expect to be in the home, such as the roommates, then that can point them to a suspect. But they have to go through uh, p- perhaps commingled. Uh, bodily fluids and blood to to really sort out what's what and what came from which which donor and that's a a daunting um, process that requires lots of um, skilled professionals and and crime scene techs and and lab techs uh, and people to piece all this together so it's going to take some time you know when i when i was in columbia missouri many years ago this goes back three decades there was a horrific murder that happened right around it was in december right around christmas time and it was a woman I'm not so sure she wasn't pregnant, but it was a stabbing. And I remember talking to some of the investigators. I knew some of the cops in Columbia at the time, and they told me it was the most horrific thing, the horrific crime scene they'd ever seen in their life. And this has to be that even on steroids. I don't even know how, as an officer, I know people are trained and there's psychological help, but how do you even get out of a house like that, seeing everything that happened? It's sort of like with the Gacy case or with Dahmer. You're going to be you know, haunted by that for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a mess. I mean, you know, I've seen some, some real terrible crime scenes before in, in my day, including one that involved a beheading. And so you've got this massive amounts of blood there and it, it really is something to, to try to take in and you have to compartmentalize that and you have to treat it objectively. You can't let your emotions get involved. You've got to follow your training. And I'm confident that, that these officers are doing that. Now they may have to, uh, so they may need counseling themselves because it's a very traumatic event to to process that scene. But they'll get it done. They're professionals. They're going to solve this crime. It's going to take a little time. But I'm confident that this will not become a cold case um, in the long run. Yeah, let's hope so. Phil Holloway, Fox News analyst, former police officer. I only have a couple minutes left, but we have to get into this situation in Riverside, California, in the catfishing. They call it catfishing expedition with a, a guy who was a law enforcement officer, right? 
Yeah. So this is an awful case. One of the first cases that I ever, when I was a trainee in law enforcement, one of the first arrests I was involved in was arresting a police officer on child molestation warrants. And so I learned very early on in my career that just because someone's a police officer doesn't mean, you know, they can't be a defendant. And let's think about it. You, you hire police officers from the pool of applicants that comes from the general public. And what do you have in the general public? You have criminals, you have sociopaths. And this, this person obviously was a, a sociopath or a psychopath because he's clearly kind of like living this double life. He, he wasn't a new cop. He had been in law enforcement for some time, but the, the process of hiring law enforcement uh, involves lots of psychological background checks and all sorts of things, but it's not perfect. And sometimes um, some bad apples uh, you know, come through the, the system and become police officers. But this this was an act of sheer evil. I mean, think about this young girl out in California, 15 years old, and, and now her family is dead. Her grandparents and her father are dead because of this guy and the trauma that he has put her through, not to mention uh, the rest of her extended family. This is just an act of sheer evil. Yeah, because he burned the house down, right? He grabbed her and then he burned the house down. Oh, and they all geez. died in the home. Yeah, they probably died, if I had to guess, and it's just a guess, they didn't die from the fire. They were dead, and the, and the fire was set to oh, yeah. conceal the, the murders. That's usually the reason for it, uh, because most of the time, you, out of three people, somebody's going to be able to get out of a burning house. So in my experience, when you got three bodies in the dead house, they were probably shot or strangled or stabbed. They were murdered before the fire was set, and the fire was set to cover the tracks. Well, that would be my best guess, and, and if we talk about this in a week or ten days, uh, I imagine that, that that will be confirmed. And maybe, Phil, one of the only good things that's come of all this is that they, you know, that guy's off the planet. He's been removed from the planet, right? He has. Officers, uh, officers shot him in a shootout. Yep, absolutely. He's. Uh, this is. There's. I almost thought that when I was preparing for this segment, I was thinking, well, this is kind of like just a horror movie or something that you might see, but this just has such a terrible ending. I don't even think it would make a good movie. No, it's Too horrible. Yeah. Phil Holloway, always great to have you on here in St. Louis on 97.1 FM Talk. You have a great week. I appreciate it. You too, buddy. Take hey, care. good luck with Elf on the Shelf. You're going to need it. Stand by. Playback ready. Now, the audio cut of the day. Sponsored by the Good Feet Store. It's all about comfort, energy, performance, and pain relief. I'm going to do a bit of a daily double. One, if you've been paying attention this afternoon, should be obvious. It's musical. We'll get to that here in a second. But i got to love Senator Kennedy from Louisiana <laughs> on Biden's energy policy. I used to have a, a, a beagle named Roger, and Roger was a rascal. About every two weeks, Roger would run off. He'd always come back, but about half the time, he'd come back dragging... Uh, roadkill that he would hide under my back porch. President Biden's energy policy looks like something Roger used to keep under my back porch. Oh my God, I just love (laughs) Senator Kennedy. And then this was news that came out surprised and shocked, I think, everyone this afternoon. I think I found out about 1.30 that Christine McVie from Fleetwood Mac died at the age of 79. And this is from the New York Times obit. Listen to this. So They say McVie's commercial potency, which hit a high point in the 70s and 80s, was on full display on Fleetwood Mac's Greatest Hits anthology. That was in 88, 8 million copies. She either wrote, Sue, or co-wrote half of the 16 tracks. Her tally doubled that of the next most prolific member, which is Stevie Nicks. And the third, Lindsey Buckingham. Buckingham. The most popular songs, and we have to go out this afternoon with Christine McVie, and I'll I'll do a couple because... Don't Stop is on the list. That was the, the biggest hit I think she had. 
crested at number three. Hold Me was a number four. You Loved Make Love it. and Fun. Say You Love Me. Little Lies Over My Head. All of those hits. Her family announced her death on Facebook earlier today, and it only said that she died at a hospital. It didn't specify the location, give the cause of death. Apparently, she told Rolling Stone in June that she was in quite bad health and that she had endured debilitating problems with her back. Christine McVie, dead at the age of 79. I got to go out with this here this afternoon. Enjoy your evening. We'll go out with Christine McVie, Lindsey Buckingham, and Fleetwood Mac. better on that suit. I think I gotta yeah. do something like it's this straight just up as a Christine. tribute here. Oh, Even though it's a Songbird. slow one, I love Songbird so much. So have a great night. We're back tomorrow at 3 o'clock. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app.